0: Welcome everybody to the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Andy Work. Guys, I am here with my friend, Dr. Beth Vennett. Beth is the Chief Veterinary Officer at the American Association of Veterinary State Boards. I've had her on the podcast before talking about what it really happens if and when you have a complaint against your license. And she walked me through that and she was wonderful. She has got a new program that she's working on. It's, it's called the A V S B A Safe Haven Program. And she's working on it with a, a, a group of people in the organization, but it's all about reporting when doctors or licensed technicians go into substance abuse programs or mental health and wellness programs and things like that. And Beth and I get all up into what this means and how this works. And then we talk a lot about the Safe Haven program, which is basically allowing doctors and licensed technicians to remain anonymous as opposed to being automatically reported to the Vet State Board if they seek treatment, which is how it has been in a lot of states in the past. It's a lot of stuff that I wasn't really aware of as far as the regulations that are out there. left the conversation feeling pretty optimistic, but also still feeling like we have a little ways to go. This is an issue that I care a lot about. This is uh, some really good resources from Beth. I hope you guys will like this. I hope you'll enjoy it. I will give you something to think about. And at least you'll be up to speed on things to know if you need to help someone who is in our profession and, and has a, a mental health uh, or a substance abuse issue that is going to need some significant treatment. What is it? What does that really mean? And how do you how do you protect yourself and, and and what do you need to be aware of? That's mostly it. So anyway, that's it from me. Let's get into this episode.
1: This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke.
0: Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Beth Bennett. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Andy? I am great. It's wonderful to have you back on the program. For those who do not know you, you are a veterinarian. You are the chief veterinary officer at the American Association of Veterinary State Boards. You have a master's in public health. You went to vet school at Penn. You are a lovely and wonderful person who I <laughs> have gotten to know in just the last year, and I really enjoy you. You came on and talked to me about sort of what the process was if you have to deal with a state board complaint, mm-hmm. and you're a doctor, and I just so enjoy it. You have a passion project that you've been working on recently that I wanted to bring you on. It's something that you've sort of been working on and really taking the lead on at AVSB, And it's called the Safe Haven Program. Mm-hmm. Why don't you just lay out it at a high level kind of what is that?
1: So the Safe Haven Program is actually it's a model regulation that we wrote. So we write at AVSB, We create programs to help licensees maintain their license. But we also work with our regulatory member boards. To create resources to help them consider new ways of doing things better. And this safe haven program is meant to let licensees, both veterinarians and veterinary technicians who are suffering from a substance use disorder or mental health illness, to it, it's geared to reduce the stigma of getting treatment sooner. Because the idea of if you can get treated sooner, then Overall, you know, you're more successful to become healthy, a healthier individual. But really, it's just to support the licensee and to help the regulatory boards help the licensee through that process.
0: I want you to talk for a little bit more about what you mean uh, about reduce the stigma of getting treated sooner. Can you lay out the landmines or the difficulties from a licensing perspective Mm -hmm. for people who are dealing with substance abuse issues or mental health?
1: First of all, there's a social stigma. You know, you think it, no, nope, it's hard to admit that you have a problem, and then sure. you know, as um, people have noted, it's hard to go into treatment. There is a, a social stigma of getting going into treatment, which I think in we're as a society we're moving away from that stigma. You know, we're embracing mental health a little bit more. We're embracing substance use disorders more, so I think that's hopefully decreasing. Specific to licensees, veterinarians and veterinary technicians and also doctors, nurses. So this, this problem isn't isolated to veterinarians. It's for a lot of the health physicians or health professionals. When you go into for a lot of jurisdictions, and I have to say everything I say, it all depends on the jurisdiction. So if you have questions about your jurisdiction, ask research because every jurisdiction is different in a lot of jurisdictions. If you're a um, health provider of any sort and you go into, you either self-refer. So if you self-refer into a physician's health program, which I'll talk about in a little sec, in a second. So if you go into treatment for a substance use disorder or a mental illness treatment program, the board must be notified of your okay. activity. So the, that, that can, cause stress or concern on the part of the licensee that if their activity or they're going into treatment program is reported to the board, that the board will will suspend their license. So the safe haven idea is that if you go into a treatment program, even if there is a requirement for reporting, that reporting requirement could be fulfilled if you are just reported to the physician's health program instead of to the board. So, so the board will receive a notification that one of their licensees is in a program, but it is anonymized. Okay. If, and that's the big caveat is if the licensee continues their path towards recovery. So if they relapse or, you know, don't abide by the treatment or monitoring requirements, then the board will be notified that there is a concern.
0: Gotcha. Okay. so and we just, can
1: kind of dig into this more if you want, because yeah, it's really complicated.
0: I want to start, start with a, a good understanding of the basics. So sure. you were saying... That if there was a veterinary or a licensed technician out there who needed to be who needed to be sort of checked in for a, a rehabilitation program, that they're obligated to let the state board know, hey, I'm seeking treatment for substance abuse issues. Like, is that, is that an obligation on them? And, and the idea has been if they don't self-report that I'm, I'm seeking treatment, that's been problematic in the past.
1: So there's two different ways that a licensee can enter into these treatment programs. Okay. The first one is through a disciplinary process, in which case the board knows.
0: Sure. Of course. I get that. Yeah, I get that.
1: So the second way is a self-referral. The licensee will refer themselves to the treatment programs. It is on the part of the treatment programs to report the licensee's activity to the board. So it's not the licensee who reports it. It would be the treatment program.
0: And they are generally required to let the board know that, hey, this person who's a veterinarian has checked into our program? By law. Wow.
1: In a lot of jurisdictions. So some, but not all. Yep. Okay. okay. And this this pertains to physicians or it pertains to nurses because that they are in a sensitive, what do they call it? It's safety sensitive worker. So it, mm. if they are suffering from a substance use disorder or a mental health issue, that can become a public protection issue. And in order to protect the public, that activity will need to be reported.
0: Sure. That's got to be a barrier to people seeking, you know. If you exactly right. I mean, it, this to add to the 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 problems you'd be having uh, that would bring you to starting a program for substance abuse or so for mental health and wellness. Yep. And to men like, oh, if I go here, they're going to let the state board know. Like, ah, oh, that's 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 awful.
1: I get it. So that's exactly right. So the safe haven program that we developed. And I'm going to I'm going to say we call it Safe Haven Program. It's developed from Ohio, so they kind of developed the Safe Haven Program, and that's their model that I plagiarized (laughs) directly. But other jurisdictions, you know, already have this kind of baked into the process. So, so many jurisdictions, they don't report to the board. They consider the requirement for reporting obligated if they report directly to the physician's health program. Okay. So the board doesn't know what the board will receive is anonymized patient, you know, XYZ. Mm -hmm. And they'll receive, you know, a lot of boards will receive like a green, yellow or red status of a licensee. So they'll say like, you know, licensee one, two, three, four, five is in green status. And they'll, and then that means that they're doing well. That's what the board hears a lot in these instances where it is anonymized. In those instances, the board is only notified if the licensee violates the term of the agreements of the treatment program. And that means, you know, they fail a drug or alcohol test, they don't show up for randomized testing, they have an active relapse. So those are instances where the licensee, you know, is no longer on the path to recovery, and will then, you know, may potentially pose a risk to the public as a result of their disease. So... The board only needs to know if there's an actual public protection problem.
0: Okay. That that makes sense.
1: So those are instances where the licensee, you know, is no longer on the path to recovery and will then, you know, may potentially pose a risk to the public as a result of their disease. So the board only needs to know if there's an actual public protection problem.
0: Okay. That that makes sense. What does the doctor or the technician need to know for their part? Does this all kind of run in the background at this point? Is it something that you need to be aware of? If someone was saying, you know, you know, I've been struggling with depression and, and, and may need to be hospitalized. Is this something that I need to be aware of or is this going to be sort of taken care of without me even having to engage?
1: This is the beauty of the physician's health program. So in other jurisdictions, it's called many different things. Um, health professionals recovery program, healthcare professionals foundation, peer assistance program, professional assistance program. Sometimes these are run through the VMA. Sometimes these are run through the board. So it's all called different things, but essentially they're physicians health programs. So what these programs do, they have four tenants and I can, I can share them with you. Sure. They support the early detection, evaluation and treatment of impairing conditions, so substance use disorder, mental illness. The Physician's Health Programs oppose discrimination based on a history of an impairing condition. Okay. They promote the use of supportive services rather than disciplinary actions. So they get the licensee help, and only if they are not able to use that help are they disciplined, and only until that they are able to practice safely again. Okay. And then the PhD supports maintenance of the confidential relationship between the PHP and the participants, and that's something that we were just talking about. So what the PHP does is, if the licensee self-refers into this, they say, you know what, I think I have a problem, I think I need help, I don't know what that is. The PHP, which is staffed by mental health physicians, you know, substance use order experts, like these are the experts to help people get the help they need. They will evaluate the licensee, determine how severe this disease is, determine oh you might need to be hospitalized you can you know you maybe you just need outpatient maybe we can just get you into a 12-step program they kind of are a concierge to help the licensee get the help they need so do mm-hmm. they need a psychiatrist do they need medication do they need actual hospitalization so they help kind of get them where they need to go and they answer questions like this if you're a licensee and you say and you're thinking to yourself gosh you know they may have a problem, but I'm not sure. You can call them and say, what is the process? Do you report? Is it mandatory reporting to my board? What will happen to me if you report? So they're, he- they're there to actually answer all these questions for you okay. and help you guide you through the process. And it's, they're great. I mean, they're so passionate. The other place that I would refer people to look is the FSPHP, which is the Federation State Physicians Health Program. And they're kind of like the national non-profit that kind of helps people get to their health in each jurisdiction. So they can also answer questions.
0: Hey guys, you know, probably the number one plea for help that I get from medical directors, from practice managers, from practice owners, from lead technicians and especially lead CSRs is, hey, Andy, help me help my staff to deal with angry and complaining clients. They need ways to help these people because angry clients, complaining clients, they need help is what they need. And our people aren't empowered or they aren't trained in how to do that. And so why isn't there more training for this? Why aren't there more resources that make teams good at dealing with angry and complaining clients? Well, the number one reason really is The way that feels natural for your team, the skills that they have that they would bring into the situation, they're different in every practice. So there's not a bullet pointed, this is how you do it way, which is why I end up in this place where people are like, Andy, how do I do this? Listen, I made a course. It's called Charming the Angry Client. And it is my course meant for teams or groups to work together on all about dealing with angry and complaining clients. I use what's called the David L model of organizational response, which is a super peer reviewed, empirically tested way of addressing angry and complaining clients. And I break it up into pieces so that it's easy to digest. You can scatter it across a number of meetings. It is made to be watched with a couple people together. And then there's discussion questions about how do we do this in our practice? What does this look like for us? What, when, think about a time that this happened and we saw it, how did we handle it? Ooh, I also put a bunch of of example videos in there of me being an angry client. So I will just give it to you as here's Andy with his pet and he is upset and then you can pause it and then you can talk about right there, what would we do with this? How would we handle this guys? And it is a great low stakes way of getting your team to talk about what they would actually do. Guys, there's nothing more powerful than your team talking about what they would actually do and comparing notes. Sitting and getting lectured at is nothing close to your team, whether it's just your CSRs, whether it's four of your technicians working together, whether it's a whole staff meeting and a manager or an owner or a medical director leading the meeting and and being the facilitator. Guys, I put a whole facilitator guide in there too. There is a whole hour long broken up into modules section on how to run an active training program using this course. And that's all laid out there and how I do it, how I work with big groups, how I work with small groups. All that information is there anyway. It's called Charming the Angry Client. It is on the Dr. Andy Rourke website. I'll put links directly to it in the show notes. Guys, I hope you will enjoy it. I think it's really valuable. It is honestly the most popular course I have ever put online. Grab yourself a copy. I hope you'll get a lot out of it. Let's get back to this episode. Is there any sort of long term tracking if you go into these programs? I mean, is it something where if you sort of do everything that you're supposed to do and you say, you know, I'm in a bad place or, or you know, these things have happened or this is where I am in my life and I, I'm I'm doing the responsible thing. I'm going to go get help. I'm self-reporting, you know, in, in an anonymous way, uh, hopefully. Do I need to be concerned about long term, you know, repercussions or, or you know, am, am I going to be on a watch list somewhere for yeah. the rest of my career or anything like that?
1: So um, typically, not always, but typically an individual is in these programs for about five years. Okay. So the, the treatment and monitoring program typically lasts for five years. Um, some actually, some licensees actually choose to extend that. So they say, you know, I'm thriving in this. I feel like I needed a little bit more time of your help before I can graduate. So it's about five years. And then after that, it's up to the licensee is my understanding and that's the average but okay. everybody's different right i will tell you some great news about these php programs so the well the bad news is that physicians and healthcare providers are at higher risk of a, a substance use disorder than the general public so that's mm-hmm. bad news yeah the good news though is that there was a study done for these php programs and the after at a 5 year follow up the response rate of healthcare providers in these programs was way better than the general public. So I I believe the statistic is general public, usually their success rate is like 50%. For these PHP programs, they had a success rate of 78% or higher. So there is a study that said at a five-year follow-up, 78% were still working and still maintain their license. And only 11% had their license revealed after this experience. So dramatically higher success rate. and it, it's because of the support that people get through these programs.
0: When does the Safe Haven program get started? Is it in effect now?
1: So in Ohio, it's in effect now. They, I think, they passed it this year. Again, this is done at the regulatory level. Mm-hmm. So the requirement for reporting if you're in a program or not is set at the the law level. So it's in statute, and that's set by the legislature. Okay. So the the state Congress, they pass a bill and they say like, oh, this needs to be reported. The boards are the ones that write the regulation and they pass regulation. So the boards, the veterinary state board and medical board or whatever, they're the ones that determine how to meet this requirement state set by the state Congress. So like I said, Ohio is a safe haven program, but many other different jurisdictions have similar anonymous carve outs Mm -hmm. in their reporting. But it, it really just does it depends on the state. Some fulfill the requirement by just reporting to one person on the board, and that you know person doesn't tell any everybody else. you know it's 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 very, very different. Some states, I will say, still require reporting directly to the board. Yeah. So that's why I say if, if you think you have a problem or if you think that your friend or your relative or loved one may have a substance use disorder illness, Ask questions, you know, so talk to the board, talk to the VMA, call the FSPHP to find out information just on how it's handled within your
0: jurisdiction. So if you don't know the way that your state operates and you're interested, you would say the best the best way is to reach out directly to the state board and just sort of say, hey, I have questions about reporting for substance abuse programs or mental health programs or things like that?
1: Yep. You call them and you can even say, I'm, I'm calling for a friend. Like, you don't need to give any (laughs) information. Can you,
0: can you do a fake voice and a mustache?
1: Yeah. Yeah. With a mustache on the phone, that will help. (laughs) Um, but yeah, you call them. So a lot of these, a lot of this information is also online. So if you go to their, I think North Carolina is an example. They, they have it on their website. So if you scroll down on their website, they'll have their monitoring program on there. So a lot of times you can get the information that way and there may be FAQs. Call the board. Call the VMA. So some of these programs are actually run through the VMA, so they may be able to give you information. The state VMA, and then also the Federation for State Physicians Health Programs can give you information as well.
0: If your state doesn't have something that allows for anonymous reporting or things mm-hmm. like that, and you you were in that state and you wanted to try to affect change, how how would you go about doing that, Beth? Like, who would who would you reach out to, or or sort of what steps could you take to say, hey? As a person affected by this program, I I would like to vote for a change. How would you start that that kind of push?
1: Yeah, so you don't even have to admit that you have a problem or or a disease like that. You could just say, hey, how do we make this different? That could be just a phone call to the executive director of the state board. You can say, you know, as part of that conversation, hey, is there anonymous reporting? And if they say no, you can say, well, what are the steps to take to get there, or is there a way that we can, you know, have this regulation reconsidered? You can talk to your VNA about how to get regulations reconsidered. Some boards have a lot of ownership over their regulations and some of them don't. So it again, it all depends on the jurisdiction, how they can enact change within their regulations. So again, you can talk to them. You could talk to the VNA and ask, you know, what steps are required for this?
0: But there's a lot of things that you could do with your time and there's a lot of things for you to work on. What motivates you to pick this up?
1: I, I don't know of any veterinarian that hasn't been touched in, sub, with substance use disorder in some way or any person, frankly. I mean, this is a really big problem in the U.S. One statistic I looked at was one out of seven people have a substance use disorder. So everybody we know has one, you know, Everyone we know knows someone who has something like this. On a personal level, though, the, the, actually the weekend that I wrote this with help with our committees and, and our board of directors, my husband and I actually lost a close family member Uh to substance use disorder. And he was only 30. You know, this is not something that anyone is safe from. You know, it's, it affects everybody. Um, and I think as veterinarians, as we said, everybody, veterinarians are at higher risk of this than the general public. And yeah. so I, you know, it's it's just something that I'm, it's really important, you well, know?
0: I thank you for doing this. It's something that, that we've talked about before in the past about reporting and things like that. And so I'm, I'm just, yeah. I, I, love, I love that you're working on this. I love this is something that the the AavSB is, is looking at. We talked about the FSP, HP. We talked about sort of state boards. Are there any other resources or things that you think would be valuable for people to hear about or know that are out there?
1: Those are, gosh, those are the big
0: ones. Talk to them. Where can people find you online if they want to, if they have questions or if they want to learn more about you, keep up with your exploits?
1: Well, I'm on this little known uh, website called LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it.
0: <laughs> I've been there yeah. before.
1: You've been there before? But we, we also have, if anybody does want to read our, the safe haven model regulations is actually on our website. So if you go to avsb.org and you, you can, go to, it's under, I think the practice act model tab and scroll down there and all of our model regulations are there. The safe haven program is on that.
0: I will, I will go and see if I can get a direct link so people can check a look from, or just write oh. out the show notes. Okay. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, cool. Yeah. Beth, thanks so much for being here. I always appreciate you and your time guys. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Take care of yourself, everybody.
1: Yeah. Thanks,
0: and that's what we got, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks so much to Beth Bennett for being here. She is amazing. Yeah, thanks a lot for being here. Like I said, this is a, a an, this is an interesting issue for me. It's one that I have thought about uh, a number of times. It's a it's a it's a hard position of balancing public safety and then also not throwing up barriers and not and not discriminating against people who have had challenges, who have had struggles, who who have done what they can to to get back on their feet and to get, and to get things sorted out for themselves. And so anyway, this is challenging, but I appreciate Beth talking through with me kind of where we are and sort of setting an optimistic vision for where we might go in the future. So I would like to help paddle in that direction. Take care of yourselves. Okay. Be well. Bye.